There is nothing sweeter than to taste your word of grace. To gain a knowledge of your word is to see the Savior's face. To read about who you are has brought me so much joy. There is nothing sweeter than to learn your word each day. To understand the word of truth is to find the words to pray. To search and know the will of God is through the word of life. Oh, your word's my daily bread, living my life by all that you have said. Oh, your words, my God, light. It teaches me what's wrong and what is right. There is nothing sweeter than your word that's tried and true. It reveals the future things and all that you will do to look into the mind of Christ is through it my life complete. Oh, your words incomparable. Doing what men think is impossible. Oh, your word's omnipotent. It's saving souls and so magnificent. There is nothing sweeter than your word that is so pure heaven and earth will pass away but your word it will endure forever I will praise your word for all that he has done there is nothing sweeter nothing sweeter than your word. Mm-hmm. I love your All right, uh, good evening to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Romans? Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 14, please. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And um, we're going to, uh, right in the midst of, uh, uh, toward the end of chapter 15, and we're going to be discussing verse 26 this evening and what the statement Paul says that he had to deliver to the poor saints in Jerusalem a contribution from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. And as I've been bringing out, that this offering that the Gentile t- churches took up was a, a sign or a token of their unity and also of their love for the Jewish believers in, in Jerusalem. Remember, there was a, a problem the Jewish believers had with many of the Gentile churches. They were suspicious of them. And, uh, of course, 
as we found out, of course, this was predicted in the Old Testament that Gentiles would be saved. And a lot in Israel were very suspicious of that, especially Paul and uh, his teaching. And he, uh, of course, taught that it's through uh, faith alone and Christ alone that one gets saved and not through circumcision. In the first church council recorded in Acts 15, uh, we see that Paul had this controversy with many in the Jerusalem church that were still involved in legalism and thought that you had to keep the law uh, as well and, and as, the, as part of the spiritual life. And, of course, that's not the case. So Paul had a lot of enemies in Jerusalem. Primarily, they're the ones that were unsaved in Jerusalem. They considered Paul a traitor. And as we're going to see, that uh, Paul's going to, he's telling the Roman believers that I, before I see you in Rome and uh, go to Spain, I have to go to this place in uh, Jerusalem. And it was a very dangerous place. And it's, if I have enough time, and, and people have been asking me questions because they were taught like I was in the past that Paul's trip in his third missionary journey to Jerusalem was out of the will of God. And of course, uh, there are men I respect that teach uh, that he was, and I'll show you this evening if I have the time. There's an article on the website that I have about Paul that goes into detail, but he, he was in the will of God. He was doing it in the will of God, and there's many uh, passages, several different passages that give us uh, a clear indication that Paul was in the will of God by delivering this gift to the Jerusalem saints. And uh, so this will be our focus this evening, and uh, I can't believe it's July 1st already. Do you want some water? Dorothy? You sure? I got plenty. Yeah. If you don't mind drinking out of the bottle, you know. Because I know it's the worst thing to do is when you're choking and you're like... Yeah, I, I get that too. I get that. Oh, you're welcome. Anybody else need water? No? John, you need water? Okay. Anyways. All right. Uh, let's... Um, <laughs> you should be at Romans... Did you spill the water? <laughs> it's all right. It, it'll dry. It'll dry. All right. Uh, you should be at Romans fifteen fourteen. You behave over there, you two. All right. Let's uh, let's take a moment of silent prayer as we uh, begin the study of the Word of God. And, and it's very important that we know this. That we need to know that in order to have fellowship with God, we have to be in fellowship with God. And we have to uh, we do that before we can hear what the Spirit says to us through the Word of God. We have to be in fellowship with the Spirit. And that means if we have any sin that we're, we're having problems with, you know, or we're out of fellowship, we need to confess that at this time. Because we don't want to waste the next hour. In fact, you should keep short accounts with God during the course of your day anyways. You know, we all have a sin nature. We all live in the devil's world. So it's nothing to be embarrassed about or ashamed about. It's just the fact of life. And that's why God has given us uh, 1 John 1, 9. Paul talks about judging the body rightly. And when we do that, we, we ensure the fact that we won't be under discipline by keeping short accounts with God. See, the people in Corinth weren't doing that, and then they were under discipline, warning, uh, intensive, and then dying discipline because they were consistently out of fellowship for a long time, and God took them home. So this is important time, and we want to hear what the Spirit says through the the teaching of the Word of God. That's why I take a moment of silent prayer. I mean, I make sure that I'm in fellowship in here when I come in here anyways, because I can't teach without being filled with the Spirit either. And you can't learn without the filling of the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit is, is commanded to us in Ephesians 5.18. And that basically tells us that the Spirit is influencing us and guiding us and directing. That's what the, uh, the filling of the Spirit is all about. Uh, it's, talk, it's a quality of life, not a quantity. Like, oh, I'm filled, this, this bottle is filled up. That's not what the filling of the Spirit's talking about. It's talking about your soul being guided and directed and influenced by the Holy Spirit. And uh, we do that by obeying what the Spirit says to the te- through the teaching of the Word of God to get in fellowship. If we're out of fellowship, we comp- confess our sins, and then we're restored to fellowship. But we've got to maintain that fellowship by bringing our th- thoughts into obedience to Christ. Why? Because if you, if you don't obey what the Spirit says, you're going to walk in your sin nature. So that's where our mind, it's an absolute. You're either in fellowship with God or you're not. So this is a very important time that we're to, t- uh, to embark upon. And always remember, if there's something that's bothering you, we all, during the course of our lives, at some point or another, we go through bad times, good times, adversity, prosperity. And some of us might be going through a tremendous amount of pressure and adversity. And uh, we're dealing with some things that are very are bothering us and disturbing. A job might be bothering us. Uh, you're... Uh, your, your personal life, your marriage, something might be bothering you, your finances. And we all go through these things. And this is a time where we can say to God, we should do it anyways. But First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord, 
because he cares for you. And remember that, because that's, that'll take you through a lot of different trials and tribulations. Remember what he said, cast on your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. Okay? And put your name in there. So when I do it, I say, uh, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you, Bill. Make it personal when you do, when you apply these passages, because they're directed toward all believers. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for another day to gather with the, together with the saints, both those in the chapel and those that are listening on Pal Talk. We thank you for each and every one of them that have taken time out from their days to learn about who and what you are and who your son is in the spirit and what you've done for us through them and what, what you've uh, done for us in the past and do for us now and will do for us in the future. And we just thank you, Father, for treating us in grace treating us in a manner that we don't deserve, forgiving us through your Son when we were yet your enemies and raising us up and seating us with your Son at your right hand when we were your enemies and dead in our sins and transgressions. Help us, Father, in this church and all Christians throughout this world and this country, and especially our congregation at this time, that we're to operate and press upon us, all of us, that we're to, we're to operate in that very same love toward each other. And so when we wound or we hurt each other or, we, or we, somebody does something wrong to us, no matter what it is and no matter how obnoxious they might be, we have to look back at, at what you've done, treated us and how you treated us when we were your enemies and that we have no excuse for not being forgiving and not being patient and tolerant with each other because you've been and have been and are and will always into the future be tolerant and patient and forgiving of us. Help us to see not to get involved in self-righteousness and hypocrisy and pretending that we're better than others by not forgiving each other. Then we know, Father, that love, as your word states in Colossians 3.14, is the perfect bond of unity. And we, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ that have fallen away, that are, for whatever reasons, we just lift them up and show them their way back home. And we just pray, Father, that you would show them that uh, human beings, no member of the church is their enemy, but rather it's the kingdom of darkness and that we're all having to deal with that invisible enemy and help us all to put up, take up the shield of faith and the full armor of God and the sword of the spirit to, in prayer and pray for each other and rather than complain about each other, help us to do that, not only in this church, but all churches throughout the world so that we can bring glory to you, Father, so that we can manifest your love in our daily lives. And we can't just talk, so that we don't just talk about loving one another, that we actually live it. And also, we, we thank you for, the, uh, for this evening that we can study your word, and we thank you for the Bible and the gift of the Spirit. And we pray that the Spirit would do a mighty work, both through the communicator and your people that are listening to this service this evening. We pray that they would pay strict attention, that they would listen to the Spirit and where he's taking us this evening and that there would be objectivity and humility and thankfulness that we're learning of your plan, and that we have this book of Romans in front of us, this magnificent book that has been a center of so much controversy throughout the ages, yet the source of so much uh, uh, tremendous spiritual growth among believers throughout the years as well, and under so much attack from the enemy for its teaching. So pray, Father, that we'd have a wonderful time fellowshipping in your word, continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we pray that this service would bring glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, not only in what is spoken here, but also what takes place in our hearts with thankfulness and graciousness and, and, and love toward you, Father. So in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You should be at Romans chapter 15, verse 14. This evening, 
As I noted earlier, we're going we're to note verse 26 of Romans chapter 15. And in this verse, Paul informs the Roman believers that he was going to serve the saints in Jerusalem by delivering to the destitute Jewish believers in that city and offering from the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia. As we left off last evening, this offering was a major focus of Paul's third missionary journey because since uh, the reason for this is that each letter he wrote on the journey, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, uh, he mentions this offering. And it's also mentioned in Acts chapter 24, verse 17. It's very important in the life of the church. This was, again, a token of the Gentile church's love and care and concern for these poor, just destitute Jewish believers. These, the fact that the Jewish believers, many of them, were destitute because of persecution, it gave the, these Gentile churches, these Christians in, in these Gentile uh, churches throughout Macedonia and Achaia, it gave them an opportunity to extend a token of love and unity. See, giving is a manifestation of the love of God. Grace giving. You give with no strings attached. You give with no expectation of being getting approbation from people. You give because you love the Lord and you love his people. And you know that God will reward you for your giving, whether it's self-sacrificial or whatnot. He will give you that reward. And this is something the, gent the early first century church, especially Paul's churches that he started in Macedonia and Achaia, we're going to mention it again this evening. They were very gracious. They gave out of their poverty. It's hard. I mean, a lot of Christians think that they, they're really making an impact with their giving when they're giving out of their surplus. Now, I know it's a very um, su sensitive subject about money, but the Bible talks a lot about money. And, you know, we're talking about it this evening because Paul's talking about delivering a contribution to the Gentile churches and uh, to the Jewish churches and, and Judea. So I'm not bringing this up because I'm begging people for money. It's in the passage, so you can put that away. But I just think it's funny that we're talking about this subject of money. And Paul, you know, the Lord lifted up a woman who had nothing. Her whole living was based upon a couple of coins, and she threw them into the temple offering. And Jesus said all these rich people were dumping their money into the, to, into the offering and making a big show of it. And yet this one woman, it's called the widow's mite, she dumped in this little this bit of change that was what her whole living. So she gave out of her poverty. And a lot of people given out of their surplus. That's not what the sacrificial giving that God calls for. Sacrificial giving is what the, Corinthian, uh, the Macedonians and the Philippians did. They gave out of their poverty, not out of how much they have. And we're a very wealthy country, and Americans... A lot of the American churches, unfortunately, have been infected by the world and the attitude of the world, and we become very covetous, and we're very, and we're very hypersensitive about money because we're very stingy many times with money. And the Corinthians, they were like that, and they were very wealthy. But the Macedonians, they, they, were very, they gave out of their poverty. Paul uh, was very upset with the Corinthians in, in these epistles, First and Second Corinthians, one of the reasons why he was upset with them, there was a number of things, but one of them was their stinginess. And he mentions in 2 Corinthians 9 that God doesn't like a stingy person. He likes a person who gives and graciously and out of the, in liberality. And he, and the Macedonians who were part of this contribution, who sent some, uh, some money for these people and materials to the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem, they were a very, they were an exemplary church. And the Philippians, were from the Roman province of Macedonia, and Thessalonians were as well. So this is a very big offering, a very big thing that's happening in the life of the church in the first century. And what can we learn from this? What's the application bill for me? You hear people say that to me. Well, listen to the Spirit. It's talking about giving. It's talking about love. Love is expressed through giving. Remember it says in 1 John three sixteen and 17, a book we studied, you're not to love in deed and tr uh, word and tongue, lip service, but in deed and truth. So you back it up by taking care of those who are in need. Whoever it is in your life, Christian, even an unsaved person, but we're to do good to the household of faith, and we're also to take care of those in our periphery. And we're to do so at a sacrifice to ourselves, just like the woman with the widow's might. How do you do that, Bill? I couldn't do it. I've never been able to do it. However, I could do it and have. 
and many Christians have, through the power of the Spirit. You can't do it any other way, this type of giving. This type of giving is produced... Remember, the, one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit is generosity. And for and Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Now, let me give you a map on the board of this particular third missionary journey that Paul was uh, uh, talking about here in Romans 15, 25 and 26. If you look at the map on the right-hand side, I got my mouse uh, pointed there. And right up there, I, I got my mouse pointed, I'm wiggling it over here. I'm pointing at Antioch. And that's in a place called Syria. It's known as Syria today. That was the Roman province in that day as well. This is where the first time that people were called Christians. This was actually the center from which Paul and Barnabas and the early first century church evangelized the Roman Empire. They were a missionary church. And we should be in America as well. And we have this, this missionary activity in the first century came from Antioch. So this is where Paul's third missionary journey came. Then he went through Cilicia. And in Cilicia is a place called Tarsus. It's now in a place called Turkey. So he made his way across uh, into Galatia and then the Roman province of Asia. And then he, was, he made his way up through Macedonia here. I'm on the left-hand corner of the map. Wiggle it over here. That's where the Philippians were. He stopped over there. He made his all the way, way down south to Achaia. That's where the Corinthians were. And that's where he stayed the winter in, in 57 AD when he wrote this epistle to the Romans. From Corinth, in the spring, he starts out. From Corinth, he starts out and he makes his way back into Macedonia north. He went to Berea. He went to Neapolis, a seaport town. And from there, he jumped off, took a boat, and he went around through the islands there in, near Asia. And then he made his, all, his way all the way down into Cyprus, right below the tip. And then he stopped in Tyre. And right there in the bottom right-hand corner of the map, Tyre is where he was. He stopped off there, and it was a hop, skip, and a jump. It was a hop, bring it back here. It was a hop, skip, and a jump to Judea and Jerusalem. Now, he had a big contribution. He had money on him, and he had other people helping him with this. And there were materials, no doubt, probably clothing. So here we have, this is a big job that he's taking. He's in danger, as we'll see. He is going to, in fact, he solicits the Roman believers' help in chapter 15 to pray for him to, to be de delivered from the disobedient in Judea because he knew violence awaited him. And we saw that in Acts chapter 22. If it wasn't for the Roman commander delivering him, God using the Roman commander, we would have seen that Paul would have been murdered on the streets of Jerusalem. But the Roman government, and we've seen that human government is a, a God used human government to protect Christians, and also human gov government is, per is persecuted Christians. In this instance, it helped Paul sustain his life. God used a, a Roman military to spare Paul. But Paul was going with this gift knowing he was going into a bad situation. And I've been trying to bring this out. And there's something that we need to know about the spiritual life. I know it through my own personal experience several times. And a lot of Christians have faced this experience is that many times... We think that the Holy Spirit, when he's leading us, he's going to lead us into a nice, calm, cool situation. Many times, he leads us into a very bad situation for us, a very uncomfortable situation for us. And, for instance, Jesus, as I've been bringing out, he was led by the Spirit into the desert to face who? The devil. And sometimes the Lord will ask us to go in a situation where we're going to be confronting the kingdom of darkness and he doing that because he wants us to bring glory, it's actually a compliment. When God, through the Spirit, leads us into an uncomfortable situation, because he knows we can handle it. That's why he leads us through those things. Remember, uh, the Lord was guided by the Holy Spirit to go to the cross. And what did Peter say to the Lord? No, Lord, don't do it. And the Lord said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. See, P Peter because of his emotion, didn't want to see his friend and his Lord suffer. However, it was the Lord's will that he did suffer. And a good thing, otherwise we wouldn't be saved from our sins. Same thing is going on with Paul. Many people didn't understand what Paul was doing at this time. Even commentators of the Bible had misunderstood Paul's intention to go in Jerusalem. Many have thought that he was out of the will of God. And as I'll show you this evening, that it was not 
the case. So this is the map that shows Paul's third missionary journey that ends up in Jerusalem where he delivers this gift that he talks about in Romans 15, 25 and 26. Now, the Jerusalem church was destitute undoubtedly because of the persecutions since for a Jewish believer to trust in Jesus of Nazareth as Savior resulted in expulsion from the synagogue. Um, you know, we all, a lot of us here have gone through situations by when we became a Christian and then we, we came uh, or we came to a church that taught the word of God and was doctrinal uh, like ours and we teach more than one time a week. We were, I don't know about you, but when I went to a ministry like that where I was ordained, I was said to be in a cult. And I'm sure people who have come here have been accused by their friends and family of us being in a cult. A cult is basically someone, first of all, that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny the person of Christ. The Jehovah Witnesses, the uh, the Mormons, they're all cults because they deny who Jesus is. They don't believe that he's the Son of God in both man and God. So we see that the, uh, that's how you figure out, how you discern uh, a cult. And they also deny the Trinity. And so that's the two principles of how you can determine a cult. So many people have said, oh, you, you, they, they persecute you, and I've been through this with my uh, friends, and I go to a certain church that taught the Word of God. For, you know, I used to go to Bible class six times a week. And they were, they were, they were not just me. There were a lot of people in Massachusetts that were doing that. There's a whole slew of people that were like me. And it's not, it's not like I'm, I'm the only person on the planet that likes to go to Bible class all the time. But that's what, they, that's what we did. And we were per, many of us were persecuted and said that we were in a cult. You know, it's nothing compared to what they went to in the first century and even in other parts of this world. Because to, in other parts of this world, unlike here in America, you could be killed for being a, 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 identifying yourself with Jesus in the Bible. And uh, we see that in the first century... And we saw this in the Gospels with Jesus at the end of his ministry. Anybody who believed in him was tossed out of the synagogue. And you know what people did? They would deny that they ever were associated with Jesus because they were afraid of getting tossed out of the synagogue. Why? Because it meant that they would lose, as I see in this next slide, to be tossed out of the synagogue meant that you were barred from Jewish life. Many lost homes, businesses, because no one would do business with you. Not, not to mention they lost friendships and being disowned by family members. So right there, to follow Jesus, as we can see with the Spirit saying, it sometimes will cost us friends and family, money maybe, homes. And it's, you know, it's for a good cause. It's for our Lord and Savior. And this is what Paul, uh, this is what the, the early first century church in Jerusalem had to deal with, persecution. To get barred from Jewish life meant you were... That was the end. You were in deep trouble. You were headed for certain poverty. So, because no one would do business with you, no one would hire you, and then you couldn't pay your bills, and no one would have friendships with you. You were disowned by family members. In fact, in many nations that are Muslim, for and I've known, I got emails, and I've talked to other Christians in other parts of the world, many of whom have got our materials, and uh, we see that many of them got our materials, and they've been persecuted. And they've been threatened and their lives have been threatened. And they've been lost. They've been kicked out of their areas where they were. Kicked out of their country. Threatened. Their lives threatened and their families. So it, uh, it's something that a lot of Christians know about in other parts of the world. But in our, first, in our country, we, we really can't identify with it. Because we've had it so good for so long. But that might be changing in the next couple of decades. Now, undoubtedly, Paul thought this offering to be important. Because it would serve, as I noted earlier to build unity among Gentile and Jewish believers, and thus it would serve as a symbol of unity among believers. Hey, one of the things that the devil likes to see is disunity. Sometimes, you know, a lot of Christians don't know this, but, you know, you know, church splits and stuff like that and divisions is sometimes a good thing, the Bible, the Bible says, because it says that then you find out who's approved and who's not approved. And sometimes it's not a good thing. God wants to have unity, but... He wants to have unity through the filling of the Spirit and believers operating in love. And if we don't operate in love, there's no unity. And that's what this, this gift was all about. They was operating in love. They're showing their love by giving to these people. And this was a token of unity and fellowship between the churches, the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia and the Jewish uh, churches in Judea. Now look at Romans fifteen fourteen, please. Romans fifteen fourteen. 
<clears throat> Paul says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering to the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting and things pertaining to God. For I would not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, and the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I first enjoyed your company for a while. But now, I'm going to Jerusalem. It was imminent, as we saw last evening. Serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints or the Christians there in Jerusalem. So what we see here is verse 26 is explaining what Paul means when he says in verse 25 that he's traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints in that city. See, one of the things what you, when, you, when you do with Romans, it's different than a narrative. A narrative is a story like Genesis or Jonah, which we're going to do after Romans. And they're different. It's a different genre, different type of literature. Romans is still scripture. All scriptures God breathed, and it might be difficult, but you need to persevere. Hey, the, uh, the Christ, many Christians in the first century who read this, were many of them were illiterate. Okay, now we're literate and we should be able, with a little of academic discipline, be a little patient in going through Romans. So Romans, I go verse by verse because each thought is connected to each other. I can't just take a paragraph like I could with Genesis that has one idea in a paragraph. In Romans, there's one idea in every clause and statement many times. So I just can't take a big chunk and uh, by itself many times because there's so much doctrine in these things and my job is to bring out the doctrine to you. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. So we see Paul here in verse 26. What is the relationship to what he said previously? What is he saying here in verse 26 that has a relationship to what he said previously? You should know that. Why? Well, he says what he says here in verse 26 He's because he's explaining what he said, what he means when he says in verse 25 that he's traveling to, to, to Jerusalem to serve the saints in that city. Now, when he says Macedonia, if you look at the passage, he says in, in Romans uh, verse 25, 15, 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints, for, the, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So Macedonia, in the days of the Apostle Paul, in the first century, was a Roman province. It was located in the region of the Balkan Peninsula, north of the Roman province of Achaia. We saw that on the map earlier. Now, when he says uh, the, uh, the uh, Macedonia, he's speaking of the Christians there. He's not just talking, he's talking about a geographical location. He's speaking of the Christians in that geographical location. Now, as I mentioned before, and it's a great, they're a great example for us as a church and all churches to follow. Liberality was indeed, or we could say um, graciousness, was a, a, a indeed, the, from the very outset, one of the characteristic virtues of the Macedonian churches. When they gave, they were not cheap, is what I'm saying. And several of Paul's travel companions and fellow workers were Macedonians. Gaius, Acts 19.29. Aristarchus, Acts 19.29 and 27.2. Secundus, Acts 20, verse 4. And Sopater, in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. These were all fellow workers and traveling companions of Paul. They were all Macedonians. Paul, remember I told you earlier, 
the Philippians, they were in the Roman province of Macedonia. He loved that church. They were the church, as we saw in Philippians 4, that when he was in prison, he didn't even write him a letter as to what he needed. They sought out what his needs were. He didn't write a letter and say, hey, by the way, I'm in need of this, this, and this. They sought out what Paul needed. In fact, they didn't even, they took the initiative and just put together a gift and they sent Epaphroditus to deliver this gift to Paul. And he, one of the reasons why he wrote Philippians was to thank him for the gift. And, and it's interesting, Epaphroditus almost died on the trip, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. So these people were self-sacrificial, not only in their, their service, but in their giving as well. Now, the Macedonian Christians supported the needs of Paul and others is mentioned several times in his letters. Let's take a look. Good as, we saw this last evening. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Remember, you have Romans, 1 Corinthians, then you get 2 Corinthians. Pretty easy to get to. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in, listen to what he says about them. This is impressive. That in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liber- liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. I laugh. I'm sorry, people. I laugh when people talk about the times are tough in America. In relation to what? That we've had all this tremendous, tremendous prosperity like no other nations in the world, in the history of the world. What in comparison to what? To these people? These people were giving out of their poverty, it says. Deep poverty. I don't see anybody in deep poverty in America. Not in Iowa, not in Massachusetts. Okay, we don't, we can, we don't have all, we, many of us can't have all the luxuries, but many of us are doing pretty well if you look at us for the, in relation to the rest of the world. Some people don't live from day to day. Check out what other countries, what's going on in other countries, other Christians. These people were giving out of their poverty out of their poverty. And yet there are churches that they, they, can't, they can't even, people can't even support their own church. And they, and they got more money than the Macedonians could ever have dreamed of. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. Look at it. They were begging him. This is telling you something about him. I say it, I, I bring this up because it's something that we should shoot for. And we can only do that in the power of the Spirit. So he says in this, verse 5, not as we had expected, but they first, this is the key to what they did. When you're devoted to the Lord, you'll be gracious to his people. And I can always tell if somebody is in fellowship with the Lord and really doing his will and doing it because they're very gracious. It's one of the manifestations in the fellowship, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's a manifestation of that. So people can say, I'm in fellowship with God. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't, you're not manifesting any characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So he says in verse 5, And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Say, they did it for the Lord first. They didn't do it to, for expecting somebody to show their appreciation to them. Or, you know, like some churches, when you give, they give you a plaque. Oh my gosh, You've got, you're not to practice, you know, not, you, Jesus said, you're not to let your right hand know what your left hand does. He says, you're not to practice your righteousness before men. That means they used to blow a trumpet when they gave. Oh, look at what I did. I am now putting a big $10,000 check. You see this in the, in the sports things. It drives me crazy when I watch this. And now I'm giving to the United Way $10 million, which is chump change for the guy who's making $60 million a year. Okay? And they're sitting there, oh, wow, he's really gracious. And people go, he's really awesome person, or she's really an awesome person because they give. Yeah, they're giving. If they write it off. It doesn't cost, it's not costing them anything. It's something they can write off. It's, a, it's chump change for them. It's like, who are they kidding? It's hypocrisy. And, I, and the sports teams do this, the, the, all the leagues, the NFL, the NBA, baseball, they all do that. It, 
Keep it to yourself. Why do you need to blow a horn that you were given? You know, and then people want to clack on the church wall for them. Because I donated this. We had some, we moved in this church. This is a true story. Down in the men's room, there was, <laughs> there was uh, do you remember this, Titus and Jody? I don't know. There was this, this, this thing, you know, you put the towels on. And somebody donated the thing. <laughs> they built this thing where you put your towel on and, you know, you roll it off. The, and they put their name on it. And when they took, they, when they got this church, when they sold this church to us and they went somewhere, they actually took the stupid thing. They held it, you know, the, 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 uh, what you, the paper towel. Because it had the plaque of so-and-so, was the name on there. You think the Lord's going to give them rewards for that? No. I think they're looking for their, their ad, ad, uh, apparition from people. That's what they're looking for. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by, you know, people, the hypocrisy. It's so easy to get into hypocrisy. And religion is all about that. Put on a big show. Pretend you're really something that you're not. Hypocrisy means you put up a mask. And that's something we all have to watch out for. Because it, that, the Macedonians, there was no hypocrisy with them. So there's an example of the Macedonians and their gracious giving. So that's what, uh, when Paul's talking about in Romans, you can go back to Romans 15, uh, verse 26, please. But when he talks about the Macedonia there, uh, he's talking about the Macedonian Christians. And they're very famous in the first century for supporting Paul and his needs. And we just saw of their tremendous character in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Achaia, he mentions in Romans 15, 26, he says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Achaia refers to the Roman province that was located on the Peloponnesian Peninsula and on the south coast of the Gulf of Corinth and is now called Maria and the south of Greece. Let me see if I can show it to you on the, uh, on the, on the map that I had given to you earlier. Let's take a look at it over here. Okay, over to the... If you look at it in the left top-hand corner of the map, there's Macedonia. Okay, that's the Roman province of Macedonia, top left-hand corner. There's Philippi, the Philippians. Okay, Thessalonians, another great church to the south. Go south, and there's Achaia. That's where the Corinthians were. That's when he mentions Achaia, he's mentioning the Corinthians there. He's mentioning them in particular. So that's what we have going on here. He says, uh, for, when he talks about Achaia here, he's talking about the churches there and that Roman, that particular Roman province. Now, the, uh, let me see if I can back it up here. Now, Achaia, Paul visited Achaia on his second and third missionary journeys while Gallio was the proconsul of the province, according to Acts 18.12. Now, the believers in this particular Roman province, remember, the United States has states, Rome had provinces just like Canada. So, Achaia was the, one of these provinces, which the city of Corinth was located in. Now, the believers in Achaia, along with the Macedonian believers, as we see in Romans 15.26, sent financial aid to the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Now, the church at Thessalonica, which was also in Macedonia, was held up as an example for the churches of Achaia in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8. Now, when Paul says, look at verse 26, he says, he says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Have been pleased is the word evdokal, which means to decide with pleasure to provide a contribution on behalf of the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Don't miss that, what that says. They were pleased to do so. Now, when the offering bucket comes around Sunday and you don't want, you're not pleased to give, don't give. What are you wasting your money for? Just keep it because God's not going to take credit. He's not going to give you credit for it because if you're giving with grudgingly, you're not pleasing to him. You should want to do it willingly, not because you feel guilty or any of that. You should be doing it because you will preach, especially when you, when you give to a church. Let me tell you something. The only reason you should give to a church or any Christian organization is that you believe that church is getting the gospel out. And if you don't think this church is giving out the gospel, then fine. Give your money to some other place. I'm never going to tell anybody to go what to do with their money. And, you know, this, this, this ministry is run on the grace gifts of people. I get my living from the grace offerings of people. I'm totally at the mercy of the grace offerings in this ministry. And so if you don't think I'm doing the job, I mean, the people won't give, and that's fine. Then I, I close up the doors, I go somewhere, and I become a male stripper or something again, what I used to do. And I made a lot of money doing No, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to be my, my sick sense of humor. But I know it's pretty sick thinking of me as a male stripper, but don't worry, I'll keep my shirt on. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to put a little humor in here because some people, when it comes to money, they get 
all hypersensitive. So notice what he says here. They were pleased to give. Look at second, hold your place. Look at Second Corinthians. Look at Second Corinthians nine. Paul talks about giving. There's no tithing in the church. That was for Old Testament Israel was a form of taxation. Bless you. Look at Second Corinthians nine one. Second Corinthians nine one. Paul talks about Christian giving here. Giving is giving grace on based on ga- grace or gimmick. You know, we we give. Why do we give? Why do we do anything? Motivation is everything, people. Motivation is everything. And we see here that Second Corinthians nine ch- chapter nine talks about the proper attitude toward giving, and it talks about not being stingy. It talks about being gracious. See, to give graciously and self-sacrificially, people, it means you have to trust that God will take care of you. See, some people are afraid, if I give, I'll never be able to pay those bills. That's a lack of faith, people. Let me say that again. Some people are... I know because I've been down that road myself. Some people, if that makes you feel better, we all have. Some people, they're afraid to give because they don't think that God will take care of them. I can't give this. How am I going to pay my bills? (laughs) And you know what? They never give. They always have an excuse why they don't give. And I'm going to show you in Philippians 4 that God knows that you're giving. In fact, if you give, the more gracious you are, the more God's going to give you money. Because he knows that you're going to use the good, you're going to have a, you're going to do the right thing with the money. You're going to be a good steward with the money. So if you're going to keep giving the money for the right reasons and giving it to the right things, he's going to keep on giving it to you. Because you do the right thing with your money. If you don't do any, the right thing with the money, God won't give it to you anymore. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.1. For it is sur- surplus of me to write up to you about this ministry to the saints. He's talking about, again, the gift that he's bringing to, uh, to Jerusalem. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians. Namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. So he's saying, get ready. You, you, I've been bragging about you. You're going to get this gift together. You're going to contribute. Otherwise, he says in verse 4, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, meaning they didn't have the offering ready, he mentions it in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, in the first Sunday, first day of the week, Sunday, take up this offering. Put aside some money and save for this giving. And he says in verse 4, Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, not cheap and stingy, bountiful, so that the same would be, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now I say this, look at what he says, he who sows sparingly, a cheap person, will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully, will reap bountifully. Do you believe that? There it is. Oh, and, and, and by the way, we, well, I won't go there yet, we'll wait till Sunday. Look at verse 7. Each one, must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly. This is what I'm talking about, your attitude. The, 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 the Macedonians and the Achaeans, Paul says in Romans 15, 26, were pleased. They gave them great pleasure to give. Look what he says. Verse 7. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart. Not what the church says, that you have a certain tie to do it. It doesn't say that. It says you're to do it between you and God. That's why... Every Sunday, you hear me, or Trent says it, that you go by the Spirit, nobody tells you what to give. And let me tell you something, people. A lot of people think, oh, they like the grace. But you know, people, it costs money to run this ministry. And we don't, you know, we don't want to beg people for money, but if, you know, if we're hurting for money, and we are, like a lot of churches, we're just going to have to start cutting things, and we've already started to do that. And we don't want to do that, but what else can we do? If, if people don't want to give, 
then fine. Then God doesn't want us to have it. We will, we'll, we'll stop doing what we have to do. But we're not, you know, we're not to the point where we're shutting the doors here. But what I'm telling you is, you know, these people get this stuff on the internet from us. You know, they're, they're downloading stuff and all that. How about a little contributing to, to help this keep this going? Because it costs money to keep this going. In fact, the people who are giving in this ministry, in this chapel, in this area, and the people who send money on the internet, from they're the ones that are making it available, this website and all this stuff that's out there, that these people are benefiting from. I used to get it when Bob, the guy I got ordained from, tapers. People would get tapes and they never send, many people would never send money. They just think it just grows on trees. How do you think that money, CDs, it costs money to make those CDs. It costs money to have a website. It costs money to run this church. It costs money to heat it. We're no different than anybody else. And yet these people, who they, 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 get, they, they, they get stuff and get stuff. They order stuff from it. Some people don't have the money to give. That's no problem. But a lot of people do have the money and they will not do it because they're, they're I mean, it's ungrateful. It's stingy. If you're benefiting from this ministry, then you just, you're just support it. You know, as, as Paul said, not Bill, if we've, reaped, if we've sowed spiritual things among you, don't we have the right to reap material things from you? That's scripture. So Paul's saying here, each one, verse 7, must do just as he purposed in his heart. Not what the past is telling him to give. I'm not telling you what to write down that check. I don't even, half the time, I don't even know, I, when it comes to the offerings, I really don't want to know who gives. And, and I never ask who gives what. Look at it says, not grudgingly, don't give it grudgingly, keep it if you're going to do that, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's exactly what the Roman believers were. They gladly wanted to do it. And then look at it says, you don't believe that God will take care of you. Many people won't give because they don't think God's going to take care of them. Look at verse 8, that's ridiculous. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. He'll give to you so you can give back. Everything we have has been given to us by God. Our homes, our bodies, our houses, our kids, our families, wives and husbands, pastors. It can be given and it's taken away. It can be given and taken away. That's the way the Lord is. And so these things have been given to us by God so when we give, we're just giving back to God what he gave to us and prospered us. Look at verse 9. As it is written, he scattered abroad and he gave to the poor. He, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, for giving, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. Somebody in our ministry stepped forward and offered to buy me airline tickets, because I don't have the money to go get the airline tickets to go back fly home to see my family. Somebody stepped out, took the initiative, and got me airline tickets. And I really, really appreciate it. You know what I was thinking? I was thanking God for them, that they did that. Because I really like to see my family. Because my parents are getting old, 70 years old. I don't know how many years I got left to see them. So it meant a lot to me that they did that. And I really appreciate it. And people have done that in the past in this ministry. And what I'm trying to say is that it brings thanksgiving to God when you do that. It's a great thing. Don't you feel great when you... I know I used to you know, feel great when you give... And it helps somebody out, makes them... I, you know, some people in my life, they, they, I know they love, they love to give. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, and I don't mean to embarrass them, but it's the truth. My friend John Woodford. I think one of the reasons why John and I are so close and, uh, is just because he is one of the most gracious people that I have ever, ever met. And he is he's very gracious. All right, go back to Romans fifteen twenty six. Sorry about that. And I get another friend like that too. Look at Romans fifteen twenty six. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now that word "have been pleased" is "euthodokeo," which means to decide with pleasure to provide a contribution on behalf of the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Now this word emphasizes with us people 
that the Gentile believers and Macedonia and Achaia of their own accord took pleasure in providing for the needs of their poor Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, when he says to make, that's the word piao, which means to provide something for somebody out of one's own accord, which Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 9, and of their own resources, people. So when he says, now you couldn't see that, you wouldn't know that unless you knew the word in the original. He says in Romans 15, 26, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make. To make means, the word in the original means, they gave of their own accord. They provided something for somebody of their own accord and from their own resources. It's used here, the actions of the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, in providing of their own accord for the needs of the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem from their own resources. Now, here's a key word here, obviously. Contribution. And this is another benefit we get from going back to the original language. Because this word is one of the most beautiful words talking about Christian fellowship. This word means, in this context, a willing contribution. Remember Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians 9. We do it willingly. Why? Because of appreciation for what God has done and appreciation for, like I mentioned before, when you give, I hope you're giving because you have appreciation for the ministry. You know? And if you appreciate the ministry, that's the only reason really you should be given. And you think that they're getting the gospel, you appreciate it, you benefited, your family's benefited from it, and you should do that willingly. And that's what this word's talking about. It emphasizes, though, that this contribution was an expression of Christian fellowship. This word, kinonia, is translated contribution, is talking about an expression of Christian fellowship. When you give, when you give, it's an expression of Christian fellowship. You know, Christian fellowship... When you look at the words in the Greek New Testament, which I've looked up and taught you here, Christian fellowship is not just, as I said, meeting in, in the fellowship hall and, and having a potluck. It's deeper than that. It means that we have a common relationship with each other. We're in union with Christ. We're all saved through faith in Christ. We are all in a partnership to get the gospel out. Every time you give, pray, serve in this ministry, you're, you're actually becoming a joint partner with me in getting the gospel out. Stewardship, whatever your time, talent, and treasure and truth that you have, you're to give to the glory of God. And also companionship. Christian fellowship is communicating with each other and having fellowship with each other and sharing the things of Christ with each other. That's what it's all about. This word is emphasizing Christian fellowship. How do we know that? Because that's what the word was used for in the original. It's specifically here, this word contribution, it involves the companionship and stewardship aspect of Christian fellowship. So by the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, sending this gift with Paul, and he's going to deliver it to the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem. That was, as I've been mentioning, an expression of unity. It was an expression of love. It was also an expression of Christian fellowship. And what aspect of Christian fellowship? We're friends with you guys. This gift is saying, I'm with you. We, we're there with you. We're identifying with you. We're with you. We're so, nothing is more important to know that somebody is standing with you. Okay? And that's what these guys are saying with this gift. I'm standing with you here. By, I'm not just talking about I'm with you, brother, sister. I'm there and I can show you tangibly that I'm with you by this gift. That's what it's talking about. And also stewardship. They're being good stewards with their money. They're not hoarding it. They're not using it for selfish interests and buying themselves their fifth, sixth motorcycle or Porsche. They're using it for the help people, not for luxuries. Nothing wrong with a luxury, but if other people are going without in your, in your life, that's wrong. That's bad. That's being selfish. You should be, if somebody is in need in your ministry, you take care of them first. Then you think about yourself. It's the same thing with your families. You take care of your kids before you take care of yourself, Right? That's what you do. You take care of your kids, and it's no different in the spiritual realm. The pastor, he takes care of his kids, his spiritual kids, and then he thinks about himself if he ever gets the chance to think about himself. Now, for the poor, he says, this contribution's for the poor. For the poor indicates that the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia provided of their own accord and from their own resources a contribution on behalf of, for the benefit of, the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem among the saints indicates that the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem 
help to compose part of the body of Christ and that not every believer in Jerusalem was poor because it's a part of the genitive in the, in the original and that says a portion of the believers in Jerusalem were destitute. When he says among the saints, listen to me, don't get drift off when I say part of the genitive. Oh, what did he try? It's a Greek word. In two seconds I said a, a, a Greek term and people go, oh my God, you're going to flip out. <laughs> listen to me, it's very simple. Some people need, I have to teach some people who want to know these things. Some people I know don't want to, but there are other people who would like to hear this. I gotta get everybody. I gotta get the people, I gotta get the Tituses, I gotta get the Jones, I gotta get the, uh, the Keatons and the Ashleys, I gotta get the Donnas and the Dean. I gotta get everybody. I can't just go to one level, I have to get all levels. That's why I let the Spirit do His thing through me. And I will throw out the water of the Word wherever it goes. So when I say this word is a part of the genitive, I'm saying that it, the word's telling us not everybody that was Jewish and a Christian in Jerusalem was poor. A lot, it says that some, uh, some of them were. Now in Jerusalem, that just tells us the geographical location of these destitute believers who were recipients of the contribution from the Gentile churches in the Roman provinces of Macedonia and Achaia. The Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia were obeying the command that Paul reminded the Roman church to continue practicing, namely, contributing to the needs of the saints. I love this verse. Look at Romans 12, 13. All of you, he says, continue to make it your habit of contributing to the needs of the saints, not the lusts and the desires. Let me tell you, a motorcycle is not a need. (laughs) A guitar, let's say for me, so you don't get subjective in case you like motorcycles, another guitar would be a luxury. All I need is one electric and one acoustic, and I used to have seven at one time. You know why I got rid of them, a lot of them, and gave them away and sold them, one, gave one to my brother and sold a couple? Because it was hoarding. I was like, I can't do this anymore. What am I doing? I'm collecting all these guitars for what? All I need is a couple. It was just a pride thing, you know? So I cut it out. Travel light. So that, a fifth guitar would not be a need. Food, shelter, and clothing is a need. A car in America is a need. You've got to get around. It's a need. Okay? So all of you, he says, then he goes on to say, and I love this, all of you continue to make it your habit to eagerly seek out opportunities to practice hospitality. Hospitality means you have to open up your home. It means an invasion of your privacy. It means you have to have faith. And he says to eagerly seek out opportunities. How many people are doing that? How many people you know in your life, you're looking, and somebody comes to town, are you eagerly seeking out to, to, to and when I, I know there are people, when my family came in, they were eagerly seeking out to help, uh, to, to put them up, okay? That's what this word's talking about. Opportunities come up, you're eagerly seeking out the opportunities. You're not waiting for them, you're eagerly seeking them out, is what he says. Quite a passage. Now in Romans 12, 13 there, the word needs, it refers to that which other Christians were lacking, and particularly necessary or essential for proper human existence. These needs were material ones, such as food, shelter, clothing, and it's used in the same manner in other places of the New Testament. The first century apostolic church practiced providing for the needs of its own, and several passages which teach that. Acts chapter 2 is a great passage, so is Acts chapter 4, and our passage that we're studying, Romans 15, 25 through 28. Now, There was great poverty, as I said before, in the first century apostolic church due to persecutions. Therefore, it was critical, people, for believers who were prospering and did have the essentials for maintaining a proper human existence to share their prosperity and abundance with those in the royal family of God who were destitute or poverty-stricken. Now, listen to me as we come to the end here. And I didn't have a chance to tell you about Paul and his trip to Jerusalem. It really wasn't in my notes. I was trying to get there eventually, but we, did not, we don't have the time. But when Paul said, when we talk about giving here, when the believer provides for the needs of those who are in poverty, who are poverty-stricken in the body of Christ, whether they're in his own or her own periphery or in different parts of the world, it produces thanksgiving to God. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 9. When the believer provides for the needs of those who are poverty-stricken in the body of Christ, whether they're in his or her, own, her periphery or in different parts of the world, it's an expression of God's love, people. 1 John three sixteen through 18 talks about we're not to love in, in, in word and tongue, lip service, but deed and truth. I love you. You don't have to hold your place. 
Go to 1 John 3.16. Let me show you this passage. Let you see it with your own eyes. Look at 1 John 3.16. We'll close. First John 3.16. First John 3.16. We know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We're obligated to. Why? Because Christ did it for us. Now look at He's going somewhere with this. Verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods... And sees his brother, his fellow Christian, or you could say sister in Christ, sees them in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? It doesn't. If there's somebody in your periphery and you had the means to help them, and they're a Christian, and they're in need, and you know they're in need, and you have the world's goods, and you have a surplus, and you don't even lift a finger to help them, you don't love the love of God, that's hypocrisy to say you do because you had, you had a chance to help them and you didn't. That is not the love of God. A love of God sees the need and seeks to fit, help the need. It's called compassion. Look at verse, look at verse 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed, action, and truth. They go together. So there we have it. When the believer provides for the needs of those who are poverty-stricken or in need in the church, it's an expression of the love of God in their life. Well, we'll close this uh, this evening with a prayer. And we have our Day of the Lord series uh, Sunday where we're going to talk about the three different views of the millennium. And uh, very important because it's, uh, it's, I'm going to show you the implications and the reasons why it's important that you know the correct view. And uh, we'll be studying that on Sunday morning. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us with the things that we've heard, that we'd be humble and carefully consider the passages and principles that we've noted this evening and make any change if, changes if necessary in our own thinking, in our own lives, in our own lifestyle. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, guide and direct the fellowship after. Give us traveling mercies on the way home. In our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.